blessed you with the music and will bless you now uh, through the study of his word. We're going to make a slight transition in our study. Um, the last several weeks have been focused on spiritual gifts. We encourage you to continue to identify uh, where you're gifted or possibly identify where somebody else is gifted in the church and we'll begin to put together some different lists and, um, and then put together some teams um, to begin the process of moving forward in those, with those gifts and to see those gifts played out in our, in our daily lives, which is really what our purpose is in, in doing that. First um, uh, Timothy chapter number three, and, and, and you're probably familiar with this passage of scripture because it really deals with the, um, the offices of the church, the deacon and the pastor. Um, the first 13 verses deal with those two offices, which we dealt with last week and um, saw some things that were important. I didn't go into great detail on the deacon and the pastor uh, and the elder ministry, um, but just looked at some things that, that uh, deacons and, and elders need to be focused on as, they, as we minister to the body of Christ and, and shepherd and support and encourage and strengthen you guys um, to do the work of the Lord. And that's really what we're here for. We come together on Sunday morning to strengthen, to encourage, to prepare each other, equip each other so that we can face the um, the week that we have ahead of us and, and the world that we live in. And so that, that was kind of our focus last week. This week, I want to uh, transition, and, and not just transition for this week, but we're going to spend a few weeks on this. And um, you'll notice in your bulletin, the title of the message is The Importance of the Proper Etiquette in the Church. And As was already read this morning, I'm just going to reread it to you. The Apostle Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, and um, he's encouraging him and strengthening him in regards to pastoring this church in Ephesus. And he says in verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing to you these things so that if I delay, and, and Paul's emphasis on if I delay is, is it's very likely that my coming to Timothy, coming to the church here, is going to be delayed. And therefore, um, here's some instructions I'm going to give you in regards to how you can function in the, in the body of Christ or in the church. He says, if I delay, you may know how you are, you, one ought to behave uh, in the household of God, or how one ought to have etiquette in the household of God, how one ought to function in the family of God. I want to make this clear as we enter into this study. Um, the, the household of God mentioned here has two meanings to it. Uh, one, it, obviously, as we've talked about in the past, it refers to the body of Christ. In other words, there are certain things that we should do as believers. Uh, the, we are a part of a larger family, and we're a part of God's family, and there are certain things that we should do, certain etiquette or certain functions that we should do in relation to and representation of who our father is. No different than if you were the president of the United States child or if you were some important person's child, there would be certain etiquettes that would be expected of you because you are representing your father. And we don't represent an earthly father, but we represent a heavenly father. We represent a divine father. And the scripture gives us a, a pattern um, in these books especially, but, but really throughout the word of God. It reveals the character of God, but in revealing the character of God, it gives us a pattern or a structure um, by which we should function. 
some etiquette by which we should live. Um, the second meaning of the term here in this text especially is that this is, a, this is a building and we come and we meet here and how we should function when we come together and meet in this building. The reason why I give you those two meanings is this. When we come together on Sunday morning, there should be a, there should be a special attention to how we function as, as, as a bunch of believers. We have order, we have structure, um, we have worship music, we have announcements, we have preaching of God's word. We have all of this stuff structured and organized together so that God is, the, the, the worship of God um, corporately is maximized, right? So we do all of that because we want to maximize our one and a half hours that we have here. We want to maximize that time. So when we come to the church, we, we have a certain etiquette, a certain expectation of function so that God is, God's glory is maximized. However, let me say this to you. The way that we should function should not be limited to what's going on within these four walls. The etiquette that we have, the attention that we pay to the glory of God is not to just be focused on what we do in this building, but it should be focused on what we do as, as children of God, Amen. as we function each and every day of our lives. So I want you to understand that, and we'll get into that in a little bit here. He says, um, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress or ground um, of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And we'll look at that verse actually in two weeks. Um, we'll focus on understanding that word, that word a little bit better, or that verse a little bit better. The topic that we're going to deal with this morning is how we should function or, or the importance of functioning properly in the church. We'll look at some rules and some, some standards and some expectations in the next several weeks, but this morning I want to deal with why is it important that we function a certain way in the church. In the same way that proper etiquette is expected on the golf course, for those of you who are golfers out there, right? Nothing more frustrating than bad etiquette on the golf course. For those of you who are golfers out there, everyone else is like, what is he talking about? All right. Proper etiquette in the movie theater, okay? You see the sign up on the screen before the movie comes on, and it says, turn your phones off, and then it has like five, this is illegal, and this is destruct, distracting, right? Proper etiquette in the movie theater, you don't sit and chat with your neighbor while the movie is going on because you frustrate the people around you. Proper etiquette at school, proper etiquette at weddings, proper etiquette at funerals. There really is proper etiquette in everything that we do. But when we talk about proper etiquette in the church, the majority of people, when they hear the idea of proper etiquette in the church, what do they often associate with discussion about proper etiquette in the church. Usually, legalism is associated with proper etiquette in the church. You can ask somebody to, to function in a certain way at school or in the movie theater or on the golf course or at a wedding or a funeral, but when you ask somebody to function a certain way in the church of the living God, it's called legalism. 
We, we want to reinterpret what, what the world has falsely interpreted. We want to give it back its original meaning and bring it back to where it is a healthy instruction that God gives us. It, it's for our good and it is for his glory. This word means... Our conversation, the word behavior here, our etiquette means our conversation, our, our living, our, the passing of our time, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we busy ourselves, or the way that we use our time, our energy, and our effort is related to this term here in this passage of Scripture. The word etiquette in our English dictionary means a customary code of polite behavior in society or among members of a particular profession or group. So it is, it is a way to function in different settings. There's, there's a proper etiquette for different, for different settings, and there's a proper etiquette for how we function as believers and how we function in the body of Christ. Let me read a few verses to you to give you a, a deeper understanding of this, of this term used in regards to behavior or etiquette. 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our confidence that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. So he says we behaved in the world or we acted in the world or we've lived in the world in, this, in these these things have been the characteristic of our lifestyle. And these things should be characteristics of all believers' lifestyles. Hebrews 13 and 18 says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. To act honorably, again, is the same Greek word. It just means how you live your life, to live your life in an honorable way, to live your life in a respectable way. How are we to live in relation to being a part of the body of Christ? How are we to live in relation to being a representative of the creator of the universe? How are we to live as a representation of the most holy being ever thought of or imagined? How are we to behave as we represent him in the world that we live in? What does he stand for? What does he desire from us? 1 Peter 1.17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, the same Greek word means live your life, it means to have this behavior or this etiquette in your life, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile or throughout your time on this earth. Now, over the, over the next few weeks, we're going to expound on this idea of what is the proper etiquette that we should have as believers. For now, this morning, what I want to do is unpack why is it important. Why is it important that we have the proper etiquette as Christians, especially as it comes, as it relates to the household of God? Okay, so let's go together and we'll be in our text, we'll unpack our text, I'll be in some other verses as well. But I want to give you about four things this morning as to how it is, why is it important that we function a certain way as believers. Number one is the church as a home. The church as a home. 
The Bible says that, the, um, that Paul writes to Timothy that he wants them to know how to, to behave in the household of God. And this word household just simply implies the home. Now, if you can think of it in your home, there are certain rules and regulations that you have. There are certain things that you expect when people walk into, into your house. That they, they, There are certain things that you want them to do. There are certain ways that you want them to act. You're not going to let them come into your house and, and wreak havoc or, uh, or, or hurt or hinder or destroy. You, you have certain expectations and certain standards. And we understand that. We, we comprehend that. And when you, go to, when you go to certain people's houses, there are more expectations and more standards. I know there are people that will come to our house, and one of the first questions that they ask when they walk in the door is, would you like us to take off our shoes, right? Now, is that a rule in every household? No. It's an etiquette that some people have and some people desire in their household, and we want to respect that, Right? If you come into my house and I ask you, would you please take off your shoes? And you're like, no, I'm not going to take off my shoes. I'm going to leave my shoes on. You are disrespecting the etiquette that I have requested of you in my household. And so it's important to understand and to view the household of God, whether it be the building or the family of God, as, as a home. There are expectations, there are etiquettes that you would expect of people coming into your house, and there are expectations and there are etiquettes that God expects of his people who are representing and um, uh, reflecting on him in this world. Okay, so we must see the house of God as a home, as a family. We must see it that way. It's the household of God. When we walk in those doors this morning, realize that you're entering in God's house, the house of God. Um, when, the, when the Pharisees were selling things in the temple and they were cheating people, the Lord Jesus Christ comes in and he turns those tables over and he says to them, you've turned the, you've turned the house of God into a house of thieves. And that frustrated him greatly because that was supposed to be a place that was sacred for God's people to meet. Now, it's important to remember that this building is not the place where God dwells like it was in the Old Testament. We don't reverence it in that way. We don't come here to meet with God. We meet with God all throughout the week, amen? amen. But this place is the place where God's people or this place is the place where God's children meet. That makes it a significant place. We are entering into the... We are entering into the home where we're going to fellowship together, where we're going to function as a, as a unit, as a family. And so there are expectations from the perspective of the fact that we're a home, we're a family, we're, a, we're the family that, that God has called out and chosen to represent him in this world. Matthew 21, 13, I, I just uh, quoted you the story. Jesus Christ enters into the temple. He says to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And again, he's speaking of the specific place. 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. At the, the place at the, at the house of God, at, at the church, if you will, the, the building, the place where God's people 
meet. Again, unlike the Old Testament where God dwelt in the temple, in the New Testament, God dwells in believers and the building, the church in which we're speaking of here is a place that believers go together to corporately worship God. It is important that we have a proper etiquette within the body of Christ, within the building that we come together, but also in regards to when we're just living out in the world um, and representing who our Father is. We're believers. We love Jesus, amen? We love Jesus. Honestly, I was, I was talking to somebody this week and, 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 and we were just talking about how, um, how some Christians are kind of, kind of odd and some Christians are just normal people. And we were, we were yeah, you guys have been there before, right? And, and, you know, my comment was, we're just normal people that love Jesus. We're just normal people that love Jesus. We're no better than anybody else. We're, we're just normal people. We like, to, we like to do things. We like to do normal things. We like to eat. We like to play. We like, we like to do those things. But you know what? We love Jesus. And we love Jesus in all, all of those things. We're loving Jesus all the time. And those things are just avenues by which we can love Jesus with other people. We just love Jesus, and that's what it's all about. We, we get that down, and, the, and this, this etiquette thing becomes something that's very easy and very simple. So realize, first of all, that, it, that it's a home. We're dealing with God's home. Not the president's home, not the king's home, but we're dealing with God's home. It's more significant and more important. And that brings me to my second point. First of all, look at it as a home. The etiquette, look at the the house of God, the believers or the church as being a a home, a place where where the family comes together to dwell. The second thing is it's God's home. It's God's possession. The church is God's possession. It's God's house. And so again, we put greater value on it because of whose it is. He he talks about here in the text, in, uh, he says, behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. It is God's church. It is God's house. So we come and we show respect to it. I wrote down uh, as a side thought, we want to make sure that we are um, representing and reflecting on him here and not being selfish or trying to bring attention to self here. It's his house. Imagine if somebody came into your house and decided that they were going to be the center of attention. And your family is the center of attention in your house. And, 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 the, and your mom and dad are the focal point when it comes to leading that household. Nothing more distracting than somebody else deciding to lead your household, right? It's God's house. We take note of that. We place significance on that because we are representing, again, the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Peter, um, Matthew 16, 18, Matthew says, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the Lord's church. It's not our church. And In chapter number three, if you go back to chapter, uh, verse number five, the Bible says, for if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? 
Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you can't, he's talking to elders specifically, but he says this, if you can't manage your own home, how can you manage God's home? That's what he's calling this, that's what he's calling us. We're a part of his home. We're walking into his house. And we're, we're, we're meeting together as a family to honor and to glorify and to worship him. This is, this is God's house. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not have mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're God's people. We're God's church. And it's important that we, we represent or reflect that by how we live our lives and the etiquette that we live our lives with and how we function. The third thing that he says here in our text is this. Not only are we a home, the church is a home, and therefore we should respect the standards that are in that home. It's God's home, number two. But number three, the church is the standard for life. He, here's what he says. He says that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Note that when, when, he, when, when Paul writes this to Timothy, he's writing him, to him in a place that is full of false idols, He's writing him to him in a place where there are, where there are uh, deaf and, and, and lifeless idols that are being worshipped all over the place. And he says that you are the household of God, the church of the living God, not the church of the dead God, not the church of the idol God, but the church of the living God. It is so important that we understand that we don't represent a, a, a dead religion. We don't represent a dead Lord, but we represent the living Lord. He rose again the third day after giving himself for us, and he was victorious and, and powerful in that. The church is the standard of life, not the standard of death. The church is the reflection of life, not the reflection of death. When people see the church, they shouldn't see us being inactive or, 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 or lack excitement or passion, but they should see us full of excitement and passion for what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he is currently working through us. We're a representation of the living God. You see, etiquette, how, how we function and how we live are important to displaying if our God is living or if our God is is still dead. Psalm 135 and verse 15 through 18, the psalmist is speaking about idols and he says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the works of human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. This is the worthlessness of idols. We don't serve idols. We serve the living God. We're the church of the living God. We are a reflection of, of a God who defeated death, who defeated hell, who defeated all of these things. We are a reflection of that. He lives inside of us. The church 
of the living God as opposed to the church of false idols. The church of the living God as opposed to the church of the dead God. For many of their churches today, for many churches today, the religion, the worship of, of idols, they're dead idols, or they're idols that are structured in the image of dead people. We don't worship a God that is dead. We don't worship idols that are structured in the image of dead people. We worship the living God. And that should be manifest by how we function. That should be manifest by how we live our lives. That should be manifest by our etiquette. We serve a living God. Not only do we serve a living God, but we serve a God who cares. He, he's not the God that, that, that created us and saved us and then, and then is millions of miles away not caring about how we live our lives. He's a God that cares about what we're doing each and every day. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, get this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You see, we worship the living God, but we are also indwelt by the living God. So that means that his life should be manifested through us. And when we function as complainers, and when we, can func when we function as murmurers, and when we function as defeated, we do not represent the living God. But when we function as thankful, when we, when we function as respectful, we are worshiping and reflecting on the living God. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. He says, what is the greatness of his power towards us who believe, his, his church, his people? What is the greatness of God's power in us? And then he goes on to tell us a story about the greatness of Christ being risen from the dead by the power of the spirit that lives inside of us. Why do we have a special etiquette? Why do we live a certain way? Why do we function a certain way? Because we are reflecting on the living God. Everything that we do reflects on the living God. I'm mindful in Numbers chapter 20, I believe it is, when Moses is told by God to speak to the rock and, and water will come forth out of it and he'll, it'll bless and encourage the people and it will supply their need for, for um for water, for, for, for something to drink. And, and Moses gets upset. He's frustrated. The Bible says he's angry with the people. They're murmuring and complaining. He gives a real litany of why he has every right to be angry, right? And then he strikes the rock. And the Lord says to him, Moses, I must punish you because you did not properly reflect me in the eyes of the people. What, what was the Lord saying? Wasn't that just a moment of frustration for Moses? Sure, it was just a moment of frustration for Moses, but it was also a reflection on God. Right? And, and, and therefore, God dealt with it seriously to show the people that he is God. It is important that we understand the reason why we have etiquette, the reason why we have these things is because we are representing the living God. 
the creator and the sustainer of all things. The third thing this morning, the third reason or fourth, that we must listen to what the apostle Paul says to Timothy is that we're a church that's on a mission. We have a purpose. And that purpose is no small, insignificant purpose. We have an extremely important purpose. And that, and that is we are the, the, we are the pillars and the buttresses or the, or the um, pillars and the ground of the truth. Our, our, the, the, the importance and the value of how we function is directly related to, number one, who we are in Christ and number two, it's directly related to what we are called to do. We are called to be the pillars of the truth. We are called to be the ground of the truth or the buttress of the truth. And it's so important that we do this well. I, I want to read to you out of, out of Isaiah 59 Remember this about the truth. The truth never fails. The truth never fails. The truth always stands its own. What happens is, is the people who are supporting truth and the people who are holding up truth fail. We all fail, don't we? The truth itself never fails. What we have to do is set ourselves apart to be the best supports of the truth that, that exist on the face of the planet that means everything that we, we do, we try to do it in such a way as to be a reflection of the truth that we are carrying. The Lord says in the latter part of this message, and not just this uh, text, but also back in, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he says that the message that we've been given is a mystery. It's a mystery. We are carrying around a mystery. And it is a powerful mystery. It is a significant mystery. And if we just live our lives for ourselves, it will remain a mystery. I submit to you this morning, folks, that it's equally important to speaking the mysteries of, it's, it's equally important to live the mysteries of God as it is to speak about them. People see what God is all about. People see what it's about being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ. And that mystery is no longer a mystery because the Spirit of God awakens them to the truth. The truth never fails, but often those who support it or hold it up do. Apostle Paul says in, in um, 1 Corinthians 9, he says that he beat his body into submission because he knew this. Here's what Paul knew. Paul knew as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he fell into sin, it would destroy everyone that he had ever ministered to. He knew that. So what did he do? He lived in a certain way to guard himself from destroying or having a negative effect on the truth. He says in Isaiah 59 verse 14, Justice is turned around backwards and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has stumbled. Did truth stumble or did those who carry truth stumble? Truth didn't stumble. Truth doesn't stumble. Truth is always truth. But it was the Israelites that 
are being rebuked in this text that stumbled. For truth has stumbled in the public public squares. In the King James, it says it this way, truth has fallen in the streets. I want you to picture this. These two terms that are used in the text that we have here, the the, um, pillar and buttress. The pillar is, you you guys know what a pillar is. It's pretty pretty common. It's it's something that's meant to hold up a a building or something of that nature, a second floor, maybe a, a porch. You might have some pillars at your house where there's a porch and there's some pillars holding that up. A buttress is something that's a little bit different. The pillar holds something up, but a, a buttress, the way I, I picture a buttress is I, I built, a, I built a addition onto my house back in Nebraska, and before we put the roof on, we had walls, right? We built the walls first, and then we were going to put the, the, uh, the roof on. But before we did that, we had to secure some supports to keep the walls from falling down, Right? Because without the roof on, those walls have no support. So we, we built these two, we put these two by fours and we secured them up here on the wall and we secured them to the floor so that they wouldn't fall over. That's what a buttress is. A buttress is something that surprised. The wall is there. The wall is significant. The wall is the truth. The buttress is what, that which supri- supplies balance to it and keeps it from doing what? Truth has fallen in the streets. We are here called by God to be pillars, to hold up the truth, and also to supply balance to the truth. That's what we're called to do so that it doesn't fall. It falls when we don't support it. It falls when we don't supply balance to it. Or let me say it this way, a lack of balance causes truth to stumble as well such as we see with legalism, with with legalism and with liberalism. A lack of balance is destructive to the truth. We provide that. We are a part of that. So how do we, in in closing this morning, how how do we best be pillars and supports, if you will, balances for the truth. And I'm going to just give you these things really quick here. Number one is we believe it. We believe the truth. And not just believing it in an in a intellectual way, but we, we believe it in a very practical way. We believe it in a very powerful way. We believe what God's word says. We embrace it as being truth. This is how we support the truth. And, and let me say this. I'm going to rewind for just a moment. Remember this, the truth is God's word, okay? The church, some have confused the church as being the truth. The church is not the truth. The church is not equal to the truth. The church is a support for the truth, but the church is not the truth. It is important that we get that because the church will fail, but the truth never does. So how do we support the truth? Number one, we support the truth. We, 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 we become pillars for it. We become balances for it by, by believing it. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it. Truth is powerful. Truth is transforming only in the lives of those who believe it. So how do we display the power of God and the power of truth? Number one, 
is by believing it, embracing it as being true. Number two, memorizing it. Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hidden in my heart, or I've memorized, I've I've put it into my life that I might not sin against thee. The word of God becomes impactful, it becomes reflected through us, the truth becomes reflected through us as we memorize it, and not just memorize it, but the Hebrew in Psalm 119 literally means to apply it. It doesn't say, thy word have I hidden in my mind, my word have I hidden in my heart. It is the word of God becoming active through us. We meditate on it. Number three, meditating on the word of God. Psalm 1 and verse 2, the Bible says that they meditate on the word of God day and night. And Joshua 1 and verse number 8, he says, the things that are written in the law, they will not pass from my eyes. Joshua is affirming the things that God has written will not pass from me because I will meditate on them day and night. We study them, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We obey the word of God. Luke 6 and verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Meaning this, your words of calling me Lord mean little if you don't see me as Lord. Obeying the truth is how we support it. Defending the truth is how we support it. Philippians 1.16, in latter, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. We live the truth. We let it impact our daily lives and how we walk. And then lastly, we proclaim the truth. Not just proclaiming it verbally, but proclaiming it actively. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. It is not you who are the light of the world. It is Jesus who is the light of the world in John 1. It is you who reflects the light of the world. It is you who manifests. Is it important how you live your life? Is it important how you function day to day? Is it important what you lean on when you get in difficult times? When you're stressed out, is it, is it important what you go to, to to relieve you of your stress? Is it important how you treat your wife and your kids? Are these things important? Do they really matter? Yes! Because you're a child of God. And it all matters because people are looking at you saying, what is your God like? Is he alive or is he dead? I, I, I like what he says, or I don't like what he says. I don't know how to say it, but over there in Psalm, when he talked about the idols, he says, you will become like them. You will become dead like them. You'll become voiceless like them. You'll become worthless like them. It does matter. It matters how we live, how we function, how we walk, how we talk, how we communicate, how we work out our problems, how we deal with stress. All of these things matter because we're God's children. 
We live in his household. We reflect on him in everything that we do. We support the truth. This morning, it is important how we function, folks, because we are the bulwark and the standard of the truth. We are the ones who hold it up for the glory of God. The last thing, and I'm not going to deal with this this morning. It's not even in my notes, but it's for next week. It's the message that we carry. I want, I want you to think about, as I close, sometimes we make rules and regulations at, as part of the etiquette that we're supposed to live as Christians that are not biblical rules and regulations. Here's what we have to understand, and we're going to get into this in two weeks. We have to understand what is the message we're living. What is the message we're defending Who is the person we're defending? God manifested in the flesh, seen by angels, proven by the Holy Spirit. What are we we living for? When we get that down, we know what that message is. It will change the way that we live our lives. Before that, let's remember, this church, you are a part of a family. You are a part of a home, and it is God's family, and it is God's home. This church is the standard for truth and for life. It is the support and the display of truth. We must rise up like a church, take the mantle that God has given us, and courageously accomplish his calling for our ministry at GBC. And I want to close by turning to the book of Joshua, if you will, join me there. All the way back in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1 Joshua's getting ready to take over for Moses and lead the people of Israel. And here's this conversation that he has. The book of the law, verse number eight, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we have, we recognize, we can understand and know who we are in Christ and know what we're called to do as ministers of the truth, as those who support and, and bring balance and, and, and um, strength and, and reflection and an example of the truth and how it is to be played out in our daily lives. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, to see that. and Pray, Lord God, that you'll use us as a church to reflect your glory. Thank you for the time that we've had this morning. And we pray that you'll bless the end of it and then this week in Christ's name.